You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Reminding us of what God is asking us to do, um, what he's asking us to be obedient, obedient of. Uh, but before we open up the passage today, uh, I want to talk uh, uh, just a simple question. I think you may ask, and it's actually a fair question. Why Exodus? <laughs> Steve, you might say, um, why spend the next X amount of time talking about a nearly 4,000-year-old story? I'm in 2019. What has that got to do with my life? That would be a fair question to ask. To which I'd say, great question. My answer is um, kind of short. As a follower of Jesus or someone exploring Jesus, it has everything to do with your life in 2019. Uh, let me explain. The entire Bible, if you don't know, is a collection of stories, poems, prophecies, witnessed accounts and events that articulate humankind encountering God over thousands of years. What's amazing is, and this couldn't be made up, no human could make this up, I should say, is that these random encounters all through the Bible aren't random. They actually speak to something that's happened in the past, usually. They're doing something now, and they also speak to a future event, normally. In fact, as readers of over 4,000 plus years of events we actually can see, we get to look back and actually see one big consistent story. This massive unfolding story is actually impossible, I think, I believe, unless you are God, (laughs) in which case you're able to make a story spanned over that many thousands of years. Couldn't make this up unless you were God working through time and people. Exodus is at the beginning, it's the second book of this library of books in the Bible, and it's about God rescuing his people, um, rescuing them from an oppressor. Uh, you've probably seen The Prince of Egypt, you've probably read Exodus, you've probably seen an Exodus type movie, but it's about him rescuing, God rescuing his people from slavery, bondage, and then pointing them in a new way, giving him a new home and a new way to be with each other and him. Got a new way, or really old way, to be human. This story was the story that for the next 1,500 years after Moses, they would remember like we do communion. So just like for many of us at time, a communion is central to our story, they would spend time remembering when Moses was used by God to rescue them. It was their communion story. The story of Exodus also points to the gospel of Jesus. In fact, it helps us understand the gospel better. The language used in Exodus is used in almost every poem or every book of poetry in some form after this, including Revelations. Have you ever thought why Revelations talks about plagues, chariots, desert heroes, babies, evil oppressors? It's because it's taking from the language of Exodus the story that the people know. Exodus gives us a fantastic grounding for the entire Bible's message. 
In fact, Exodus, this is, Exodus is that good of a story. God is that much of a storyteller through us that it's not only the Bible that's stolen from Exodus. Exodus feels familiar to many of us, even if you've never read the Bible, and this is why. Pop culture steals it. It's in our bones. It's something in us. It's literally everywhere. If you've ever seen a Star Wars film, Evil Empires, Desert Heroes, Prophecy, Force, it's completely ripping off the themes of Exodus. Mad Max, common one I know many of us have seen, obviously, Australian film. The, the chariots releasing people from the empire. Planet of the Apes, Matrix, the list goes on. They all steal elements from Exodus. My point being, not necessarily to see those movies, my point being is God's story is entrenched in the Western world. And so how exciting that over the next few weeks we can read and consider the real story, the original story that inspires so many. Let me pray for this morning and then we'll unpack this text for a time together. Father, I just pray this morning that as we unpack an ancient document, Lord, of this story that is, I guess, for so many of us, in our bones, in our culture, it, it, it shaped, actually, the Western world more than we know. And it points to what you did on the cross, Lord. And I just pray that this morning, although it's an old book, although it's a lot of old words, I pray that you reveal what you have for us today through this series that we may more richly understand what you did on the cross and what you did through Jesus. In your name, Jesus' name, amen. So a bit of a history, just where, how we got to this point as James gave us last week. Uh, Joseph, story of Joseph, he has all these brothers. Long story short, he ends up in Egypt. His family end up in Egypt. He ends up the two I see of the Pharaoh that time. The Jews multiply and are blessed, and 400 years later, the Pharaoh has a choice. He could have embraced God's blessing, in a sense. He could have seen the Hebrews as a people that God was obviously doing something in. And I wonder if God kind of, God's wish, or I wonder, I, I, this is speculation, but I wonder if God would love, have loved the Pharaoh to go, I can see God here, will make the Egyptian people Christians or Israelites and we'll follow their God, kind of infiltrated through within. He put the guy in there too, I see. He must have had a plan or a desired outcome for Egypt. That doesn't happen, of course. Uh, Pharaoh, instead, the generations go by and Pharaoh gets jealous and a classic human move. He wants his own kingdom, his own power, and he sees God's movement as a threat. And so he enslaves these people instead of embracing it and throws a ton of their babies into the sea as a power move. Side note, maybe might distract you from the rest of the sermon, but side note I was thinking, you know when an empire, in the Bible, you can tell when an empire is about to reach its end. Nearly every single time there's a certain characteristic that the empire does. It kills babies. Um, something to think about. Nearly every time there's an evil empire, it's reaching its last days. This is not prophecy. I'm not saying anything like that, just an interesting characteristic of an evil empire is at the point when they start killing babies and it's okay. The empire normally doesn't survive much longer than that. Just something 
hope that doesn't distract you from the rest of the sermon. Probably is. <laughs> Get your thinking now. So I might as well just stop there. Let's pray. Okay. So there's 400 years of forgetting who Yahweh, who, what he did, how he's blessed these people. And it turns into slavery and killing. As men, James mentioned, Moses is saved and brought up in a palace. When he is older, he kills an Egyptian for being too hard on an Israelite. Then he flees for 40 years into the desert, becomes a shepherd, starts a family, and then we get to the passage read today, which we're going to talk about Moses being called. Moses' calling and how that, what that can tell us about our calling in 2019. Moses then is in the desert being a shepherd with sheep and he encounters a burning bush. And the reason he's actually drawn to the burning bush, other than he might like to look at fire, what makes this bush interesting is that the bush on the fire is not burning it up. It's actually just sitting on this bush and the bush isn't burning. I love this image of power that sets us alight, allows us to shine like a lamp, but is not meant to burn us down. It's self-sustaining fire. The bush literally does nothing but be a bush. (laughs) Fire sustains itself. It's here at the bush, Yahweh. God calls Moses to him, which is what I want to dig into. Does anyone ever think when you read stories like this, and you know, I know a lot of us already know the Exodus story, or some of us might know a little bit of it. Does anyone ever think, and I do this, and you can admit this, because I'm, well, I'll, let, I'll give you permission to admit this. Um, does anyone ever think, I, I reckon if I was God, I could, do a, I could do this better. I could tweak the system a bit. Why on earth choose a murderer? Why on earth? This is what I'd do. I'll tell you what I'd do. Not that any, this is not the important message. What I'd do, I'd come down, enslave the Egyptians, make, set my home there, pull out my throne, make an unlimited donut store, things like that to my interest, a cinema, set up a cinema, and I'd rule. Forget the broken Moses. Forget waiting for him to be a shepherd for 40 years. I'd just, I'd just do the job right. There's something to be said about that. They like donuts, but that's, there's something else to be said about that. Because it's interesting God doesn't do this. We can learn something about God in the way he acts. It says here, he hears the cry of his people, he remembers his promise, but how he does things gives us our first point, one of three today. And the first point today is God wants to use us. He wants to use us. Could he do a better job? Of course. But actually that's not what he's doing here. It isn't, I need to get from A to B as quickly as possible and as efficiently as possible. He wants his family. He wants this tribe. He wants this group of people to grow and learn. He wants them to reach, to stretch, to improve, to lean towards him. He wants each person, each generation to learn more and grow as a people closer to him every day. That's what he wants. He could do it himself. He wants to do something in Moses and his people. He wants to see transformation. 
He wants to see change in them. There's a picture up here. I want you to just, you can gasp because it's that awesome. You may not be able to see it. It's a three-story Duplo house. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, that's pretty awesome. And it is pretty awesome. And I'm going to confess, a bit of pride here, I built it. Yeah, you may not be able to see it right from the back. That's my coffee machine behind that. My second favourite thing in the house. My first thing is this thing. Three storeys. Man, I, I like, you should see inside the rooms. Um, I've put a, like, there's a window and the toilet window's right there and you can actually look out the windows of you while you're sitting on a toilet. I would have put double glass windows so they can't look in, obviously. But it's, it's phenomenal. So I'm sitting and playing with the kids a couple of weekends ago and we're building this. And they're, they're building it together and we're playing Duplo and it's fun. And, and then they start to get in the way. I'm like, oh, do you want to go see what mum's doing, Noah? The big kids are playing. Um, Belle, yeah, I know that's, that's an okay place to put a door for an amateur architect. Let me place it, Belle. Go see what mum's doing. Um, Aria, team Aria. Oh, hang on. Yeah, no, no, you can't play that with those blocks. I need all blocks. This is a serious construction. Um, go see what mum's doing outside. And I'll just put it up on the bench here next to the coffee machine while I finish my project. I'd forgotten the point. In a moment, when mum came back inside, when Mez came back inside, and she had all three kids out with her going, why have I got all three kids? Aren't you playing Duplo with them? Um, I suddenly hit me. I'd probably maybe lost the point. And although I did build the most amazing Duplo house ever, the point of them was to play with my kids and to, um, and to build something together. I got distracted. How blessed we are that God doesn't forget or get distracted. In fact, he's always at work in us, with us, to his purpose. He wants to play. He wants to use us. He could build something way better, not the point. He calls us broken, imperfect, getting in the way to participate, to do something with him. Like a regular old bush in the desert that he wants to set alight, not to consume, but to see burn brightly with a fire within it. If you know Jesus this morning, no matter what you've done, no matter what age you are, no matter how broken or unusable or how much of a distraction you think you would be. God has things he wants to do in you and through you. God wants to use you. In John 15, 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. We always split that in half. We love the end bit, that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give us. But the first part is actually sets it up with a transformation element. You did not choose me, but I chose you to bear fruit. I want to do something in you, with you. He wants to use you. God wants to use you. The second point we can learn from this interaction in the desert with Moses and Yahweh is this. Uh, it's between him and his people and we see this consistently in his word. It's not just in Moses. You can't just take a one-off story and make these points. These themes are consistently in interactions with God's people. The second point is he's calling us. He's calling us to trust him. 
Let me explain. Notice what God does here. Moses, take off your shoes. <laughs> Moses, this is holy ground. Something is happening. And the holy element isn't you, Moses. It's me. Take off your shoes. I'm a holy and good God. Notice God uh, not buttering up Moses. Notice what he doesn't do. Moses, come here how great you are. You've been, I've been watching you. Prince of Egypt, descendant of Abraham, shepherd of the flock. You have been shepherding those sheep so well the last 40 years. You're awesome. Can you do me a favour? No, no. It's not about Moses. It's about God and what God can do. It's not about what Moses brings to the table. Listen to even the way they debate in God's grace. Um, who, this is what Moses says to him. Who, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Again, he's going, come on God, give me some input. Tell me I'm worthy of doing this cause. He said, but I'll be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. How's that? Oh, God, just, I don't know if I'm that good at it. I don't know if I'm that good at shepherding. I don't know if I learnt that much being in the palace. What do you think, God? Oh, I'm with you. You'll be fine. <laughs> Not what Moses wanted, but what God gave. I'm with you. I'm calling you to trust me. Again, God called, could have said, who are you? You are, um, you are his adopted brother, probably the Pharaoh at the time. I positioned you perfectly to talk in the courts and talk like that, which he had equipped him. But again, his answer is, I'm with you. That's good enough. So he slowly catches on and says, okay, then what's your name? And I reckon Moses is looking for an Egyptian God name or, or something similar because he's just come under the Egyptian. He's looking for a name. He's looking for something. I can go back like, the, oh, the God of thunder called me um, or the God of, I don't know, the God of the earth called me. He wants a name. He wants a description. He wants a reason to go back. And I love this. God says to Moses, again, not playing into this, he says, I am who I am. <laughs> I don't need to explain to you who I am. I don't need to give you, oh, I, I created this. I do this. I'm really good at this. Here's my CV, Moses. No, no. I am who I am. Self-sufficiency, self-existent, self-directed, unchanging and immediate presence of the powerful and holy God. I am who I am. Yahweh. His calling to us, second point, is to trust him. Your calling first and foremost is to be a disciple of him. 2 Timothy 1.9 says this, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given um, to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. This is crucial to understand because it seems simple, possibly, to you. But we, we, any, any moving from this and we actually can create a dangerous picture of God and what he wants from us. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I don't know what God has for me. I don't know what I've I was created for. What's my identity? I don't know who I'm called to be. 
then first and foremost, I do know, it's not because I'm an expert, it's because it's here. First and foremost, God's calling you to him. First calling, the first mission is to be his student, his disciple. No matter what background, no matter what skill set, no matter how much you think you bring to God's big plan, whatever, uh, whether you're born a prince or a slave, poor or rich, smart or not that smart, whatever you feel about yourself, God is calling you to him, calling you to trust him, not because he needs you, not because you bring something to the table even, but to use our vision or language here at this church, the table's already set. He's inviting you to take a seat and play Duplo and participate and build something with him. Much more important than Duplo is our mission. But that image of participating with dad. He's always looking for ways to bring you into trust with him. Don't know if I love this analogy, but I'm going to give it anyway. It's not a great way to intro it, but let me give you an example personally of a way God might call me to trust him more. I would often, I'd love, often pray to God, oh, you've got me in ministry, why don't you send, why doesn't someone in my church, <laughs> if you're called to this, you can do this, but this is not what I'm asking for, send me a million dollars. That way, God, I don't need to get a wage off the church, I can just be self-sufficient. Or why don't you give me an idea and I can start a side business and make a million dollars and be, a, be self-sufficient. How awesome would we be then, God? Problem is, I reckon he'll never do that, at least while I'm this age, because he always leans towards me wanting to trust him. If you feel called to do that, don't stop. That's fine. <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> but, but I reckon God always... Le- and it's okay if you... I'm not saying if you have a million dollars, you're not trusting him. What I'm saying for me at this stage... The weekly daily bread is something that actually earns trust with me and God. He wants me to lean into trust. He's not going to give me things that are going to just make me self-sufficient, prideful. He might one day, he might not, but his heart above anything is to see me go deeper into relationship with him, deeply trusting him. That's for me, that may not be for you, that's something I was thinking about as a process this, this week. A misunderstanding of what our calling is can be dangerous, but I'll get to that in a moment because I want to give you the third point. The third thing we can learn from Moses' interaction with Yahweh is each season has its assignments. Each season has its assignments. Calling doesn't... um, Calling towards Jesus doesn't change. That stays the same. But the season and the assignment might. Let me explain. Uh, He's Moses at this point. So here's where Moses, he's lived in a palace for most of his young life and grown up. He's killed a man and fled. And then he's been through a stage of starting a family. He's had kids and been a shepherd for 40 years. If you do the mass, it's likely Moses at this point, while he's talking to the bush, is around 80 and he gets a new assignment. The movies don't always give an 80-year-old standing at the bush, do they? They give a young Hebrew-looking man, but he's probably likely 80 standing there. He's feeling like, I've done the kid thing, I've done the family thing, I tried that, I ended up killing someone, I'm out. I'm just going to look after my family and these sheep. And then he encounters a burning bush. It was a new assignment. 
So my question is for you to explore, and you don't have to have the answer, what is your assignment? What is God calling you to in this season? We can all experience this changing assignments, changing places where we are sent in different tasks. It's a part of life. I'm so grateful we have stories like this where we can see God, what he does, how he works, and that God knows the bigger picture. I I guarantee those in this congregation have walked with God a lot longer would testify. It wasn't the stuff you did with God or you're doing with God. It's the fact God was part of it. It's not the stuff you did. It was cool, but it was the fact God was in it. You ask an overseas missionary that's come back and always it's, yeah, we saw this happen, we saw this happen. That was exciting, but the exciting part was God was there. God was in it. The the calling doesn't change to lean in and participate with God, but the assignment can. One minute you're a shepherd, next minute you're leading the biggest exodus out of Egypt. So I want to give three scenarios. I'm going to ask Jeremy to come back up and he's going to kick us off in a moment to play. But I want to give three scenarios while he's um, doing that. Three scenarios that pressed on me as I looked at this interaction with Moses and God. The first, first I reckon that could be in the room here is someone that has felt useless, that has been told they're useless their whole life, have been told they're not that good at anything, It only takes a couple of comments in your formation sort of years when you're a young guy or girl and you start to actually believe that. Um, If I believed any of my bosses when I was an electrician apprenticeship, I would still think I'm pretty useless because I was an electrician apprenticeship. But maybe you were told that and that's defined you. Maybe you think God wouldn't use me. God can't use me. God doesn't. Steve, it's easy. You don't know what what I've done. You don't know who I am. God can't use me. That's the first person I think could be here this morning amongst us has this feeling that they don't, God doesn't even want to use them. God doesn't want to play with them. God doesn't want to spend time with them. God doesn't want to do something in them. Then please consider the murderer. That only thing on his CV was shepherding in the desert was used to lead the people of God out of slavery. Please consider Moses' story. Or if you look up the things that anyone that's been used by God in the Bible has done, let it reassure you that God wants to use you. God knows what you've done and still wants to use you. God knows that you don't feel that gifted or he knows that you feel useless and still wants to use you and still has an assignment for you this morning. Guaranteed. It's one of the only sure things we can see consistently is God wants to use us. Otherwise, he'd do it himself. He wants to use us. He wants to use you. That's the first thing. And if that's you this morning in this last song, love for you to come down the front and just be prayed for or post-service if that's more comfortable. And we'll spend some time reminding us, allowing God to remind us that he wants to use you. He wants to play with you. And guess what? Like the burning bush, he doesn't want to burn all your energy up. He doesn't want to burn you. He simply wants to use you. He'll do the work. He'll do the heavy lifting. You'll be just the bush sitting there, but you'll see amazing things happen because God's in it. God wants to use you. The second person. I was encouraged a couple of weeks ago from a visitor that came to this church and he saw what was going on and he said this to me. Steve, 
stop for a second, you may only see something like this happen once in a lifetime. Your leaders, your church may only see something like this happen once in a lifetime. And what he meant is God's been working in this church for the last 40 years since it's planted, but it's clear that God is doing a, a new season here. It is clear God is rebuilding some stuff. It's just clear. And you may feel the same. You know, this is a once. Churches don't necessarily go through these seasons all the time. And so it's an exciting season. It's super exciting. We're seeing something. We're seeing a move from God here at Burley Church. And you might be excited and think, what can I do? Do they want me to be involved? The answer is yes. <laughs> God is calling you to trust him in this season. God is calling you. He's got assignments for you. He wants to see this church equipped and encouraged and burning brightly. Our church leadership want to see you equipped. Want to see you lean more into God. Grow your gifts. Know your assignment for this season. So please, again, no matter your age and stage, if you want to kind of, and I'm, I'm, we're not going to solve it all in the 10 minutes of sitting here praying, but we'll start that conversation with God how can I be used in this season what's my excitement how can I be a part of this not just watch it happen love for you to come on down and we can pray and then find maybe a small group or and someone that can keep you accountable and start unpacking what God could be doing and then the third person the last person that I reckon could be sitting here It's a different season calling. It's uh, the, the many different things he asks us to do. Maybe in this last scenario or maybe in this new season at church in all your life, you're not sure what your assignment is. Imagine it was so caught up in a specific calling and now things are changing, now the world's changing, now your stage of life is changing, you may not feel like you can do what you thought was your identity in Christ probably because you're amazing at it and God built your gifting in there. Can I encourage you that that's not your calling? That was an assignment. Your calling was to trust in God and he did something amazing. Can I encourage you in this new season to ask him, is it the same assignment, God, or is there something new in this season of life I can be a part of? He still wants to use you. He's still calling you to grow in him. Is there a new assignment, though, that he has for you this morning? Again, if you want to start unpacking that, love for you to come on down. I'm going to invite the elders to come see if anyone's praying. And then anyone else that wants to pray for someone, you're welcome to as well. Again, we're just the vessel. <laughs> you can pray for someone. You don't have to be an official elder or a pastor. You can pray for someone because we're asking God to do the heavy lifting this morning. God wants to use you in this next season. He'll continue to do his work in you. If you don't know him, he wants to get to know you and start to hang out, start to play, start to... I like that imagery. Don't think I'm being irreverent. I love that imagery of Duplo on the floor. The simplicity of the image. He wants to do something with you. What assignment is God calling to you in this season? Let's be praying for clarity and boldness to step into it. Let me pray. We're going to sing one more song. Love for you if you feel led to come on down and we'll pray for you during that song.
or if if you're not comfortable with that, we can do it straight after. Let's ask the Spirit to stir in us this morning. Father God, we're thankful that we don't have to rely on our own wisdom. We don't have to make up how you work, Lord. We see you interact time and time again in your word. We thank you for it. If one of those scenarios speak to us this morning, Lord, if, if, if something else speaks to us through the calling of this broken man called Moses, I pray that you speak to us, Lord. You stir in us and we address it this morning. What a shame to go in and forget what you were trying to say to us 10 minutes into coffee. I pray that we could have the boldness to address it this morning. Whether we don't feel useful, Lord, let us be reminded that we, what, yet you want to use us. Whether we're excited about this new season, Lord, but we don't feel like we're invited to be involved, Father, let us know that we, what our giftings are, where we can be assigned and what we can be doing in this new exciting. Let us not just watch it happen. Let us participate with you. And thirdly, in a change of season, in cloudiness, Lord, in the mystery, in the confusing nature of change, I pray that you can strengthen or reassign our assignment clearly for this season. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.